Take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, we're going to get, you're going to hear a lot of this. What I'm preaching to you today, you're going to hear a lot of when we get into January. Uh, And so I really, honestly, I wanted to save this message until January. Uh, But the Lord just ties in so well, and the Lord just would not give me liberty to hang on to it. And so here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 4, we're going to begin reading there in verse number 4. And if you found your place there, if you would stand as we read the text this morning, we're going to read down through... Uh, Verse number 16, I always have a long introduction. Today it's about twice as long as normal. And so if you're planning on getting out at our regular time, uh, which if you're a guest, if you're you're not a new guest, you figured out that's not 12 o'clock, but it's not even going to be 12, 15 or 20 today. It's probably going to be more like 1230. So just kind of hang on. We're getting a little bit late start and I want to get it out there. Uh, If your roast burns, then you'll just have to go to Cracker Barrel or someplace like that. And so... Uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning in verse number 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he has ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And I want to speak to you this morning on the thought for the work of the ministry. Let's pray together. Father, again, we come to you this morning seeking to bring honor and glory to our Savior, seeking for your presence in this place. And we know, Holy Spirit, that you promised that when we've gathered together in the name of our Savior, that you'll meet with us. Lord, I pray this morning that you'd work in our hearts, that you give me clarity of thought. Lord, I have much to say Lord, please help it to be understood in the spirit in which it's being said to be received and communicated. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think deeply this morning and to think beyond tradition and to just look simply at what you've laid out for us in your pattern uh, for the reaching of the lost and for the development of the, development of the Christian uh, in your word. Lord, may I communicate it effectively. May our hearts be open to receive it. And may our lives be impacted because of it. In Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We began our Missions Emphasis Month 
starting with where else but the Great Commission. I mean, how can you really effectively understand what missions is and how God wants to go about the reaching of the world if we don't start with God's command to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, teach the gospel. Uh, And so we started there. And Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We examined that word power. It is the word excelsia uh, in Greek, and it, and it has a great meaning. But uh, it was summed up well by the commentator John Phillips when he said this, all the right of absolute authority and all the resources of absolute power. Uh, And so when we understand what Jesus says that all power is given unto me, that Jesus has been given absolute authority. And we don't like that in our in our culture today. We don't like to accept the fact that there is an absolute authority. We don't like to accept that there's an absolute anything. Uh, But the reality is, is that there is one God. And there is one truth. You hear celebrities all the time saying, speak your truth. That's a bunch of hogwash. There is no your truth or my truth or his truth or their truth. There is one truth, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so Jesus is our absolute authority, and Jesus has absolute power. Now we examine that and we understand that we have been put in trust of the gospel. And when God put and Jesus put into us and entrusted us with his gospel, he gave us access to that power. He did not say uh, that here is what your responsibilities are, but you have no power uh, or authority or decision-making ability uh, outside of uh, to, to, to carry it out. Uh, And so a lot of times uh, leaders will tie the hands of their people by giving them responsibility, but not giving them any authority uh, to make decisions and to carry it out. Jesus hasn't done that. He is the authority, but he has given that authority to us to carry out the gospel, which has been entrusted to our care. Uh, And so we look here and we understand that we have been given an order or a command by a proper authority in the Lord Jesus Christ when he said that we are to go out into all the world. We are his ambassador. Uh, We learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and believe in verse number 20, uh, where, uh, where we have been commanded to go and not to represent self. I am not here this morning morning as a representative of Pastor Cripps. I am here this morning as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no authority to say what I think. I have all the authority that is given in heaven to tell you what Jesus says. And so uh, we need to understand that this morning, that we are his emissary, we are his ambassador, and we are to carry out the mission that he gave us with his authority to tell the lost world about their condition and about the remedy for it. We have been commissioned to go. We have been commissioned to take the gospel to a lost world. Now, I'll probably say this again in a few minutes, but I'm going to say it a few times because it's going to rub some of us the wrong way when we hear it, uh, and some of us are going to question it, but I think if you'll consider what the Bible says, you'll know it to be true, and ultimately, when we get to the end of the message this morning, it's going to bring everything back home to where we're like, oh, okay, uh, I, I get it now. But do you realize that we are not one place at anywhere in the Scripture are we ever commanded to plant a church? Not once. Now, we believe in church planning. Don't get me wrong. 
We're planting a church. I, I, we believe uh, that, that the establishment of God's church is the will. But here's the problem. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He did not say, go and build a church. And when we go with the attitude of, I am, and I, and I definitely am going to say this again in a few minutes, and I want it to soak in, that, that when I go with the attitude of, I am going to go and plant a church, I, and how many times, I can't tell you how many times I heard this coming up through Bible college and, and, and good sound churches uh, that, that I want to go and do a great work for God. I can't do a great work for God. If I do a great work for God and if I build a church, then it's man who is glorified by the building of the church. That is not what God's plan is. The truth of the matter is, is that when I am yielded and humbled before God and God works through me, a great work is done, but it's not me who does it or another pastor that does it or a Sunday school teacher that does it. It is God that does it working through them. You see the difference this morning. And so when we look and we consider here, we need to shift our attention and our thought process to a biblical thought process so that what we are doing is not uh, reaching people because God in his grace and mercy has saw fit to reach people uh, in spite of our, uh, of our going about things in a non-biblical way. Uh, but we want to enter into a realm where we do things God's way so we have his full power and blessing. Churches that are built on a man's uh, reputation or authority or personality, uh, when that man is gone or resigns or the Lord calls them home, tend to fall apart. They tend to go away. They tend to diminish. I could I have a list of churches in my office that that one time ran thousands that no longer even exist. Names that I could rattle off, and if you've been in fundamentalism any time at all, you would recognize the ministry. You would recognize the name. Good men, good churches, strong churches, reaching the lost, uh, but, but yet they have ceased because they were not built uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he work in them? Yes. Did he save souls in them? Yes. Did he call men to preach in them? Yes. But I'm going to remind you this morning that Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not my responsibility to build a church. It took me a long time to learn that in ministry. Uh, when I was always programmed that, hey, uh, you're, you're called to preach. Uh, you go out and you build a church and you build a great work for God. It's it's. It's a wonderful but misguided thought because it's not my responsibility. My responsibility, our missionary's responsibility is to do the work of the ministry. Our responsibility as a church is to do the work of the ministry. My responsibility as a believer in Christ, not a pastor, but just as a believer, is to do the work of the ministry. So what is, uh, and, and we're going to get to what all that entails in our text this morning. But the reality is, is that we have been commissioned to go. We have been commissioned to teach or preach, depending on whether you're reading Matthew's account or Mark's account, it's to teach or preach the gospel, to share with the lost. In other words, what God has commissioned us to do is to go out to the lost world and to present truth to present Jesus, to present their need for the gospel, to present man's need of salvation, to demonstrate that man is in darkness and lost in sin and there is a Savior that died for him. We are then commanded to baptize. And listen, baptizing is more than just coaxing someone to come up to the baptistry so that we can dunk them. Baptism 
when you delve into it biblically, is not just going through the motions and showing a demonstration of what was done inwardly, outwardly, though it entails that. Baptism is actually a commitment on the part of the person who is being baptized to enter into the new life that Jesus has given them. The old man is dead. That's signified by going under the grave. It, it identifies me with Christ because he died on the cross and went into a grave. The old man died and is buried and a new creature, a new creation in Christ is raised up not to live as he pleases but to walk a new life. And it's our responsibility as we do the work of the ministry to commit, to communicate and to teach and to lead and to guide a new convert that this life that you have chosen, this, this gift that you have received has also placed upon you a responsibility and a calling to commit to see it through to the end. You don't hear a lot of preaching about that. But baptizing is leading converts to commitment. We are commanded to go, to baptize, and then we are to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded, Jesus said. That is guiding to maturity. And here's what we typically do. We go out, we knock on the door, we win somebody to Christ, you need to come and get baptized, identify with Christ, and then now you can figure it out. And that's why we sit here with converts that come in and get baptized and go out and they're lost. And you can't find them again. I'm saying this morning that true ministry is taking someone from no knowledge of Christ to the saving knowledge of Christ to committing their life to Him in baptism and to guiding them to maturity. In other words, true discipleship and true gospel ministry is not just a fleeting momentary relationship, but it is the entering in with someone to a lifelong relationship in which I, as Timothy, as Paul said to Timothy, you're my son in the ministry, my son in the faith, that I am going to help you and lead you and guide you. Listen, it's not about how many people can I stand up and brag about that I led to Christ or had baptized. Tell me rather how many people that you've led to Christ, discipled, that you have invested in their life, and now they are out doing the same with others. That's gospel ministry. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the commission that God has given us. We have to learn that we do not need to be concerned with the numbers. We need to be concerned with our yieldedness to the Spirit of God because I can go out and run enough programs to coax people to come in to build a work that looks good on the outside but was built by man and glorifies man rather than being built by Jesus and glorifying God. And our goal here is to be a church, to be Christians that are invested in the work of the gospel, that are doing the work of the ministry so that we are presenting truth to a lost world, so that we are bringing them in and baptizing them as they commit their life to Christ. And then we are helping them grow to maturity so that they are doing the same. And when that happens, churches organically emerge and God is glorified. And Jesus is the builder of the church. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. In week two, we saw that mission, we saw missions and motions. We saw how that Paul and Barnabas were called by God. They weren't called by the pastor. They weren't called by the college. They weren't called by the Sunday school teacher. They were called by the Holy Spirit. 
And the church at Antioch, and by the way, the church at Antioch happens to be the church where Paul was sent out from three times to go on what we call missionary journeys, but that really is not accurate biblically. It was really evangelistic journeys. Uh, and so as we understand true biblical terminology, uh, and, and so uh, that he was sent out to preach the gospel. He was not sent to plant churches. Did he plant churches? Yes. Did churches emerge where Paul preached the gospel? Absolutely. But his goal was not to go to this city and say, okay, I'm going to stick a stake in the ground and I'm going to rent out a space and we're going to have church here. His, his mission was to preach the gospel. His mission was to share the truth of Jesus Christ. And as those people, and he did not go in and preach a week and blow out of town. In many cases, he stayed there in some cases as long as a year. And he, has, and he helped invest in lives until the people grew, until a church organically emerged, until Jesus built the church until Jesus came on the scene and got a hold of hearts and the church was emerged and established. Paul and Barnabas, they were called by the Holy Spirit, but they were sent by the church. In other words, the church acknowledged the call of God on their life and commissioned them with the church's authority that was given by Christ to go out and to reach the lost with the gospel. We saw that as they were sent out, that they were also supported by other churches and individuals that had been impacted and that had received the gospel. In week three, we saw that God gave provision for the work. And we'll, we'll get uh, not into that real heavy this morning, but we saw that God provided the manpower. Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The only prayer request that Jesus ever gave. He provided the manpower. We saw that Jesus provides, God provides the means. He provides the tools that are necessary to carry out the work that he is doing through us. Not that we are doing for him, but that he is doing through us. And then we saw that God uh, provided, had provided the message. It is not the message of man. It is the message of Christ. It's interesting to note that, as I've stated earlier, that we are never commanded to build a church. Matthew chapter number 16 uh, and verse 18, uh, we see where Jesus is talking to uh, Peter. Uh, and he said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Thou art uh, Peter, uh, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, will I build my church. In other words, he says, Peter, you're a little bitty stone, and I am a giant rock, and upon me I will build my church. Listen, the Catholics got it wrong when they thought uh, that, that Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter, and that Peter was the first pope. That's not what it says at all. It has no meaning there whatsoever. Jesus is never intended to, to build anything upon a man. He builds everything upon himself. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the one that the builders rejected. He is the one that is built upon. We are not built upon the feebleness and the frailty of human beings. We are built upon the unmovable rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this. He says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to tell you this morning that Jesus has built his church in times of persecution, that Jesus has built his church in times of prosperity, that what we do in our fundamental world is that we sit in our fortress and we emerge occasionally and we run programs to the lost. And I'm not against having programs to, to, to reach the lost and to share the gospel. I'm not preaching against that. I'm saying that shouldn't be the focus of ministry. 
And we have seen man build churches. I was trained to be a man building a church by running a program. And when you run a program, you have people come in and the gospel's preached and people get saved and you see some growth and then it plateaus and then it declines. And so we have the next program. We have a program in the fall. We have a program in the spring. We put this title on it. We put that title on it. We have vacation Bible school in the summer. We do this in the winter. And <clears throat> we do all these different things. And they're not bad things. They're good things. And if people get saved, glory to God. But that's not the method that Jesus has demonstrated in the Word of God. A really great administrative pastor knows that, hey, I've got to have a program so that I grow. Now I'm starting to plateau. Well, I'm going to start the next program before we start to decline. And it looks healthy because the numbers are going up. But I ask you, could they do that in China? Could they do that in Russia? If it is a Bible doctrine, if it is a Bible truth, then it can be carried out in any culture, in any climate, in any place. Jesus said, I will build my church. He can build a church in communist China. He can build a church in Russia. He can build a church in Iran. He can build a church in Iraq. He can build this church where people are being beheaded by the gospel. I saw a video this summer of a young lady in Sri Lanka that was burned alive by the crowd. And they came by and poured gasoline on her after they had ignited her. I watched the whole video. It was incredibly gruesome. It was difficult to watch. But I'm just saying this morning that even in that climate, Jesus builds his church because that's what he said he would do. Again, I'm not against programs. I'm just saying that our responsibility and our commission from God is not to run a program. It is to be yielded to the will of God. It is to be preaching the truth of the gospel so that we are investing and building lives. And when that happens, Jesus builds his church. We need to come to the understanding that what we must do and what we must be about in our Christian life is to follow the example that Jesus gave and and we'll continue to do some things that are programmatic, if you will, uh, along the way. But our main emphasis and focus is I want to share the gospel with the lost. I want to invest in their life until they're matured, until they're reaching others and and to see Jesus work in their life and to see their yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God. Nehemiah didn't do a great work for God, but he was doing a great work and he couldn't come down off the wall. So the difference in his terminology. Building a church our way glorifies man, but Jesus said, I will build it. It's Jesus that builds the church. So we look this morning to consider, and just, just to make the case biblically, let me give you a couple of examples here and we'll move on. Jeremiah preached for 41 years, I believe. Jeremiah never had one recorded convert in the Scripture. Not one. He wept as Jerusalem was destroyed. He faithfully preached the message that God gave him to preach. He was put in the stocks. He was thrown in a pit. He suffered for for the cause that God commissioned him to do. But he never had one tangible result that would cause us in our modern day thinking to look and say that man was successful in ministry. Jonah. Jonah preached a very short time. 
Jonah had more than half a million converts. Jonah failed. God's work was done in both cases. Jeremiah preached, repent, and the people chose not to. Jonah preached, repent, and they did. But Jonah never invested in their lives. Jonah never saw them through to, to through discipleship. Jonah never raised them up and taught them how to live out their faith. He was too busy being angry at God for saving their souls. And he went and sat up and looked over the city and sat under a gourd complaining. And, and there's no evidence or record in the Bible that Jonah ever repented of his hard heart against those that he had won to Christ. I would submit to you today that if, we, if, if this was happening now, that Jeremiah would be branded as a, as a liberal outcast that had no credibility amongst the churches, and Jonah would be on the, the, the lead speaker at every conference in America. And his anger and his bitterness and all of it would be on proud display. But he's failed. It's not pleasing to God. Hey, listen, did God use Jonah in a great, mighty way in spite of himself? Absolutely. God's will was accomplished. Did God use Jeremiah? Absolutely, his will was accomplished. But you see what I'm saying this morning? Our evaluation of success and failure is all hinged upon what has man done for God and not what is God doing through man. I want to be yielded to the Lord. We need to be a people, a church that's yielded to the will of God, that follows God's method. And whether that leads us someday to be the church that's the size that we are or a church that grows in number, that's up to God. That's not up to us. We are to be faithful. We are to share the gospel. We are to stop being worried about are we going to be recognized across fundamentalism? Are we going to be recognized as pastor going to get to preach? I don't care. I care about Brian and Samantha sitting over here, and I care about uh, Blake and Rebecca sitting over here, and I care about Frankie and Regina and, uh, and, and Mike and his mom and others that have come in, and Stephanie and Abby, and, and God, the, the lives that God is touching, that they hear the gospel, and people are investing in their lives, and they're being discipled, and they're learning truth, and they're growing in their faith, and praise be to God because Jesus is building them. Amen. And they're not being built by man. I would say this morning, as we look into this and we uh, come to our text now, that our mandate is to preach, to baptize, and to, de to teach, to do the work of the ministry. And when this is done, Jesus builds his church. God is glorified. And man, for the first time, begins to fulfill the purpose for which he is created, to bring honor and glory to God. And when we do that, we have joy and we have peace. So the work of the ministry this morning as we look. I would say this morning, first of all, as we would look at with me in verses 4 through 10 in our text, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called the hope in, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he, now that he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Uh, and he gave some apostles. Now, what are we talking about here this morning? I'm saying that the work of ministry establishes when Christ is elevated. 
the work of ministry, the work of the ministry establishes. It begins to become established when Jesus is elevated. There is one body, there is one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. It is Jesus that does the work. It is Jesus that must be elevated. In John chapter number 12 and verse number 32, he said, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. What is our mandate from God? It is to go and to teach and to preach the gospel. Our mandate is to lift up Jesus Christ. That's our concern. should be the concern and it is the responsibility of every Christian. It should be what drives and motivates every church. It should be what we come together collectively around. It's what brings unity. It's what brings peace. It's what gives us the, uh, the job to set forth that we are to do. What is it that we're supposed to do, preacher? It is to lift up Jesus. Lift him up. I'm to lift him up in my life. We want to lift him up in our worship. We want to lift him up in our outreach. We want to, and everything that we do, our motivation must be lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he said to, and that's enough. But some practical reasons this morning. The reality is, is that when I lift up Jesus, the light shines. The world is a place of darkness. Sin is a place of darkness. The world is a place where it works extra hard to quench the light or to try to quench the light uh, that the gospel gives. And when I lift up Jesus, I let the light, his light shine. Not our light, his light. Then spake Jesus again in John chapter 8 and verse number 12 unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Why do I need to go? Why do uh, the Kotbis family need to go to a faraway land? Why do the other missionaries that have been through in the last several weeks, why do they need to go to the places? Because Jesus must be lifted up because it is a world of darkness and his light must shine. They cannot see their sin. They cannot see their condition. They cannot see it when it's obscured by darkness. Light exposes sin. Lifting up Jesus shines the light. Secondly, lifting up Jesus exposes sin. Notice Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 22. And we're going to move around a lot this morning. I'm going to move fast. If you can't keep up in finding the passages, don't feel bad about that. Just write down the, the reference in your notes and, and your handout, and you'll be able to uh, go back and look at that through the week. But lifting up Jesus exposes sin. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. What do I need to do? I need to tell everyone with a loving spirit that you are in your sin, and Jesus has died for you, that you are condemned Oh, but I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that you're condemned already. We like John chapter 3 and verse 16, but we often stop and don't get to verses 17 and 18. Listen, we are already condemned. You're not condemned because you're bad or because you're good. You're condemned because your position is outside of Christ in sin. And consider this morning that lifting up Jesus exposes sin. Not only that, but thirdly, we see that lifting up Jesus gives hope. Ephesians chapter 4 in our text in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called into one hope of your calling. One hope. There's not a multitude of hopes. There's not hope in religion. There's hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1 
And verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm just saying this morning that what we need to be about, what our focus needs to be on in ministry, that when we understand and we begin to do biblical ministry, that it starts with lifting up Jesus. It doesn't start with establishing a work. It starts with lifting up a Savior. It doesn't start... Uh, by going through the uh, the motions and and doing all of the uh, fulfilling all employing all of the tactics of uh, of modern outreach, it is simply lifting up Jesus Christ. Lifting up Jesus shines light. It exposes sin. It gives hope, and ultimately, it gives life. John chapter ten and verse number ten: The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants every man to have abundant life. Jesus wants every person to know the truth of his saving power. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance by the washing of regeneration regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He is not willing that any would perish. We see this morning that the work of a ministry is established when Christ is elevated. Secondly, we see this morning that the work of the ministry expands when Christians are edified. The work of the ministry expands when Christians are edified. What do we do here? That's a, that's a, truthfully, this will kind of rub maybe us a little bit the wrong way because we're not used to hearing these terms. But do you realize this morning, it's a wonderful thing when lost people that don't know Jesus as their Savior come to a church service and give their heart to Christ and salvation. That's wonderful. But do you realize what we're here to do this morning is to worship God? Do you realize this morning that a lost man cannot worship God? You ever wonder why lost people come into church and they feel like a fish out of water and they feel like they don't blend and they can't figure out why? They feel welcome. People were friendly and people sat with them and people invited them here and invited them there. Well, the reason is is because they cannot participate in what we're doing here. We're here to worship. They can't worship a God that they do not believe in. Now, praise be to God when the people continue to come and the Holy Spirit, they hear the word of God and the light comes in and they get to a place where God reaches them. That's wonderful. But understand this morning that the edifying of the body of Christ is the mission of the church. We as Christians are to go and to share the gospel. But when we come here, it is to worship God and to edify the believer. And I'm saying this morning that the work of the ministry is established when Jesus is elevated, but it is expanded when Christians are edified. When we get to the place where we begin to grow, the word edify me is from the Greek word akotome, which means literally architecture. It has to do with building a structure. So the edifying of the saint is the building of that saint's life or walk in God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it talks about that we are a building. We have a building. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 says that we are the workmanship of Christ. I, listen, we don't need a bunch of people that are the, of the workmanship of, uh, of the disciples of Victory Baptist Church. We don't need a lot of people here or anybody here that is the product of the, uh, of the work of the pastor or for, of, uh, of a missionary on the field. What we need is people who are the workmanship of Christ to edify, to build up, to teach, to lead along. 
It is the building, it is the process of building mature Christians. Notice in our text this morning, in Ephesians chapter number 4, uh, and beginning in, here in verse number 11, and he gave some apostles. Now, there are no apostles today. I know that you can find churches out there that say apostle so-and-so, but if they did not see and were not ministered to by a resurrected Savior physically and personally, they cannot qualify as a biblical apostle. does not exist. And he gave some prophets. Now, a Bible prophet, prophet means two things. It means to foretell and it means to foretell. There is no more foretelling today. The charismatics believe it, but the Bible says very clearly whenever John wrote Revelation at the end, do not add to and do not take away from this book. So uh, the, the Pope can speak ex cathedra all he wants to, but he cannot add to the Word of God, and he cannot diminish the Word of God. God has not changed his mind. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we see these different groups, no matter if it's a particular denomination or faith or religion uh, or a splinter group of Christianity, uh, if they stand up and say, hey, I'm an apostle, I have some new revelation from God, you better brand them quickly a heretic because it is biblically impossible for them to be a, having new knowledge. I can gain greater understanding of what he's already written as he reveals to me the deep things of God, but I cannot add to the word of God. Prophets, so then, pastor, what's a prophet? Well, a prophet is someone, and you look even in the Old Testament, we think about the prophets that foretold Jesus' birth, and they foretold all these things, but that was a very, very small part of their ministry. The vast majority of even the Old Testament prophets' ministry that did foretell things that would come in the future, the vast majority of their ministry was foretelling. Okay, so what we call an evangelist today is actually, biblically speaking, a prophet. What we call an evangelist is not an evangelist at all. It's a, it's a bogus, erroneous title that we put on someone who would be more properly called a revivalist. They are going about and they are preaching against sin hardly and bluntly to spark revival. That is a prophet biblically so a pastor what about evangelists how could we have that so messed up well just consider the word stop adding to what the bible says and twisting it to to fit something that we wanted to say the word evangelist means evangelize it's really not rocket science it's pretty simple it means to evangelize so if i stamp evangelist next to my name but my the main thrust of my ministry is not to evangelize then biblically speaking, I am not an evangelist. We don't really see evangelists today. That we don't we don't see people that biblically are, are are going out and setting up tents like they did after World War II and preaching to massive crowds solely for the purpose of giving the lost the gospel. That's evangelist. Listen, I'm not against, we have, we have some evangelists come in. I'm not against them. I'm for them. I appreciate their ministry. I'm just saying that we need to understand true Bible terminology so that we get what it is that God's telling us to do. I believe that there is a tremendous need and place in the New Testament church for prophets. 
And, I, and there's a need for evangelists. But truly, we, we, the, the men that we call missionaries would be more accurately called evangelists. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, to my knowledge, that Paul and Barnabas were sent out on a missionary journey. They were sent out to preach the gospel. They were sent out to evangelize. They were sent out to take the good news to a lost world. And they did not go with the emphasis and the thrust of planting a church. They went with the emphasis of sharing with a lost man his need of a Savior and investing in his life and developing his life and growing his life to a state of spiritual maturity until he was outreaching others. And as a result, churches organically emerged as God built and Jesus built his church. So we see that edification requires a couple of things here. First, edification requires guidance. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. God gave them. They're a blessing from God. I know that you may not often think of your pastor as a blessing from God, uh, but he is. You may not think of that prophet that stands up here uh, that, that thunders out against sin as a blessing from God, but they have been given to us as a blessing from God. You may not think uh, that disciple that you're a discipler. Sometimes you may wonder if they're really a blessing from God when they're trying to correct sin in your life and trying to show you the truth of God's word, but they have been given to be a blessing to our life, and he gave some for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why the church is necessary and exists. Edification, we see, requires guidance. And he shows that in verse 11 as he gives us all of these people to guide us. All right, listen, it is not my responsibility to lord over your life. It is not my job and not my responsibility as a pastor to make sure that you're checking all the boxes, that you're dotting all the I's and crosses all the T's. That's between you and God. It is my responsibility if I see you going down an unhealthy path to try to give you some guidance, but you have to decide what to do with it. You're not here to please me, and if you are, you need to stop worrying about whether I'm pleased or not. You need to worry about am I pleasing God. I promise you this, if you're ever part of a church where the pastor loves you and loves God and wants God's best for you, you don't have to worry one bit about whether or not he's pleased with your life or whether, whether he's uh, going to pat you on the back. All you need to worry about is am I pleasing God? Because if your life is pleasing God and your pastor is walking with God, then your pastor will automatically be pleased. And we need to understand and we need to grasp the concept that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But that means that it, that gospel expands, that the work of the ministry expands as we edify the saints. And that means that we have to be willing to guide others and we have to be willing to be guided by others. And if you're older and if you've been saved a long time, it's a whole lot easier to guide than to allow yourself to be guided. But I'm just telling you that from the pastor on down, there are still times in our life when we need some guidance. And we need to humble ourselves and walk with God and allow the Spirit of God to work in our heart because edification, Bible edification, requires guidance. It also requires commitment. It requires a commitment on the person who is being guided. Notice in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
a perfect man. Now, I get it. I know that there's charismatic groups out there that say that you can reach the state of sinless perfection in this life. That's hogwash. That's not Bible. A perfect man means a spiritually mature believer. Someone that's not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. And he says that here later in the text. Edification requires commitment. That it requires some to be committed to teach. 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 4 and the first five verses. 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and the first five verses here. Uh, when he says this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, when it's received, when it's not received. Uh, when it's in season, out of season, reprove we don't like to be reproved, but we need to be reproved sometimes. Rebuke, we definitely don't like that, but we need it at times. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Listen, if you want to find somebody uh, to, to make you feel good about your life, if you want to find a church that wants to, uh, to, to lift you up and to, uh, and to help you uh, live your best life and get into all of that kind of thing, if you just want to feel warm and fuzzy whenever you come to church and not feel any responsibility of your sin, there's a great big gathering. It's not a church, but there's a great big gathering of people down Highway 59 on the southwest side of Houston. And you can feel great all day long there. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't need that. We need the truth of God's Word. And we need to pour it into our lives and we need to pound it into our head and our heart until we come to the place where we feel such great conviction that we are either going to submit and get right with God and who is holy and righteous or we are going to say, Pastor, I just can't take the conviction anymore. I'm gone. And it's heartbreaking to see people do it, but they've done it here for the last seven years. I'm not saying they didn't do it before. I wasn't here. I don't know. But I know what I've experienced here in the last seven years. And I know what I experienced 10 years of pastoring before that in another state. And I know what I experienced five years uh, before that uh, working on a church staff. I'm just telling you that whenever the gospel is preached and when it's handled rightly and when the conviction of the Holy Spirit falls, that it is going to force us to come to a moment where we either accept it and we experience God's blessing and growth and power in our life or we reject it and we run away. Edification causes some that have to be committed to teach, committed to teach the hard truth, committed to teach the hard thing, committed uh, to call out sin uh, and to point out sin, committed uh, to call a zebra a zebra and a leopard a leopard instead of disguising it and redefining it and, uh, and, and following along with the culture so that the culture is happy and everybody's relevant and we're so worried about if we're offending this group or that group, God help us to get back to a time when we got some men that have some toughness and some mental stamina where they can stand up and just hear the truth and receive it. I liked it a lot better whenever, I, whenever people would just do what they wanted and call it and, and it was sin, but at least they had enough common decency to say that what I'm doing, I'm doing, but I know that it's not right. I know that it's not moral. Those days are gone in our country. How dare we? If I ever had any ambition for running for spiritual life all I, or for, for elected office, all I need is for a clip of this to get out. I'll be done. <laughs> what I'm saying this morning is that we must be committed to teach truth, but we also must be committed to learn. 
We must be committed to hear the hard thing. We must be committed to hear and examine and allow the Holy Spirit to, to say with David, try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. You understand what David's saying there? God, I think I'm right with you. I don't think that there's any wickedness in me. I think that I've repented and I've gotten free of it. But you try me and show me if there's something wicked in me. And when we get there, we've, we've got good spiritual growth. When we got there, God is working in our heart. We've got to be committed, though. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2. And hang on, we're just about done. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye might grow thereby. Hey, listen, how long has it been, Christian, since you walked through those doors or the doors of a church like this and you sincerely desired the word of God? How long has it been since you walked through hungry? How long has it been since you walked through disgusted with the world? How long has it been since you walked in with a broken heart for a lost loved one or neighbor? How long has it been since you walked in, prayed up and prepared and begging with God to do something dramatic in your life? And I'm saying this morning that in order for the work of the ministry to be done biblically, that Jesus Christ must be elevated and it will expand when Christians are edified. And then thirdly and lastly, we see that it will explode as churches emerge. It will explode as churches emerge. Notice verses 13 through 16. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase the body unto the edifying of itself and love. Understand this morning that now we're talking about the church. Now we're talking about a church that's emerged. Now we're talking about the parts that we're talking about that Jesus is the head. We're talking about that he is the leader and the guide. We're talking about uh, that there's somebody that's a neck and somebody that are hands and someone that's fingers and someone that's an arm and someone that's a leg. That we are a body that has been brought together unified for the cause of Christ with Jesus working in our heart because we are willing to preach the gospel. We are willing to receive instruction. We are willing to give instruction. We are willing to share and bear the truth for the glory of God. And when that happens, a church emerges. And when that happened in the Apostle Paul's ministry, people started calling them Christians first in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were sent out and then churches emerged all over the world. I'm saying this morning that churches, that the mission, the ministry, the work of the ministry will explode as churches emerge, as they are organically emerging as Jesus is building his church, bringing believers together, believing, bringing us and fitting us jointly together in a spirit of unity. It is a unity of faith in verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of faith. Secondly, it is in the knowledge of God's Son. What are we built upon here this morning? Till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. 
into a perfect man. What happens when a church emerges? We come together in unity of faith. Why? Because someone preached to us the gospel. Someone shared with us our faith. Someone is investing in our lives and teaching us and training us and edifying us. So what happens? We naturally begin to gravitate those who believe with us and like us so that we come together and we spontaneously have a desire to worship our God and to grow in our faith and to see others reached. And we bring in to come and coalesce around the truth of the gospel. And we have that unity of faith. And that faith is in the knowledge of the Son of God until it brings us to a point of spiritual maturity so that a church emerges and begins to send others out to do the work of the ministry. We want to do the work of the ministry. We want to preach and make disciples. But we want to leave the church building to Jesus. We want to come together around the faith of our Savior, with faith in our Savior. We need to leave all of the infighting and the bickering and the complaining out the door. And we just want to walk in rejoicing that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that I am a sinner who has been saved, and by the grace of God, people have invested their lives in mine, and I'm trying to invest my lives in others, and we're going to worship Him together, and what's going to happen is we're going to transform, and instead of just being a gathering of a body of people that believe somewhat alike, we are going to become a church that has that emerged organically as Jesus builds us, and the result of that is that God's work is going to spring forth and go out into Beit town Jerusalem and go out into the surrounding areas Judea and go out beyond our state and other regions around our country our Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world and the world again can be turned upside down by the power of the gospel when the church stops being built by man and starts being built again by the Lord Jesus Christ I want to be committed I want to be committed to being surrendered and humbled to my Savior God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, to whomever you wish for me to speak, whoever you want me to invest my time in, whoever you want me to sacrifice for. And when we do that, a church will emerge and lives will be changed and God will be glorified. And you and me, finally, finally, will find joy and peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because we won't have the burden and the stress of building something that God never commanded us to build in the first place.